for us, we have to find our way and we're trying to find our way and we're going to be successful just a little bit later. Martin Furcat didn't have a Junior World Championship medal individually. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hey, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. It's, uh, as you can hear from my voice, it's not uh, quite over yet. People are wondering what I'm yeah. talking about. I, I had COVID about two weeks ago, and uh, after some ups and downs, I finally feel like I'm going up a little bit, so slowly getting better. But uh, both uh, both penalty loop podcast hosts struck down with COVID within a month. Yeah. So yeah. without seeing each other. So <laughs> no, yeah, it's not us. We didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, hey, we had a uh, a, a great uh, interview today. Um, finally, yeah. For before we go into that, I just wanted oh, to yeah, bring one I thing apologize. up. Um, not so much news, but I wanted to um, kind of highlight the. Uh, uh, the climate challenge that uh, that uh, mm. IBU is yes. running, and um, they have this thing through Fiesman that's one of the main sponsors that you can uh, support an athlete, and then if you use the Fiesman Move app on your phone, every uh, it's it's similar to, uh, to 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 your usual uh, activity tracker, but every mile you walk or move or something gets added to your uh, athlete of choice and then um, that is converted into the uh, number of trees they're going to plant so um, i think it's uh, a good example of how the ibu is doing a lot of things outside of strict biathlon and um, just wanted to uh, to mention that and uh, did you choose an athlete to support i had to go with Gilles Bernat. Uh, okay. As as the yeah. Canadian on the on the group, uh, the proud uh, Canadian. Yep. Deidre Irwin is on there too. So if you want to go USA, then uh, that's an option for you. Um, but yeah, there's uh, I think there's eight yeah eight athletes. Um, so plenty of options. So yeah, that was there, that was fun. Yeah. But yeah, great uh, great conversation uh, with the coach this time. Um, we talked to. Um, Italian coach of the U.S. now men's and women's team, uh, Armin Augenthaler, if I say that correctly, and uh, we uh, we we went a little bit uh, out of our usual mm-hmm. um, structure. Uh, we didn't get to a lot of our standard questions, but we had, uh, I thought, a very interesting talk about you know culture differences between the U.S. and Europe, mm-hmm. how to work with you know the American team versus the Italian and Swiss team, and I uh, I learned a lot, and I thought it was a very uh, very cool topic to uh, to hear his side of of uh, his experience. So, yeah, and, and I did too, especially as an American. You know, just hearing his thoughts on some of the challenges that uh, that they face. Um, you know, coaching uh, and trying to develop the American team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the I wouldn't say frustrations, but I, I would say one of the things that most people would think is that you know, in the United States, we have this you know, 330 million people, you should be able to find, you know, a half dozen who can, you know, (laughs) perform a biathlon reasonably well, but, you know, he does a really good job of getting into the, um, 
uh, into the challenges that they that they face. And yeah, well, you'll have to listen to it. It's it was tremendous, and and we were both saying at the end, so we we definitely felt we could have gone for another couple of hours, but right. Well, know, and I like I, too that we 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 didn't talk about just the development of the of the USA team, but also of the sport in. Yes. Yes. The U.S. Yeah. And, and and North America to some degree. And, yep. Um, I thought it was really interesting, and it, it you know, he's done it before. He's seen it before in other countries where it grew mm-hmm. from a small sport to uh, to much bigger. And um, I just think you know both Canada and the U.S. have such strong potential to be a, a better nation in biathlon. And you know, knowing a, a handful of people that are involved with biathlon, like there's. There's so much uh, belief and 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 um, willingness to to make biathlon a bigger sport that, you know, I I, I just think, you know, are we ever going to be, you know, Canada or US? Are we ever going to be the biggest nation in the world on the biathlon? Probably not, um, but we, uh, I I think we can definitely be uh, a force to be reckoned with in the in the in the future. So it was great yeah, to hear his perspective. No reason to think we can't be, you know, top six, seven, you know squad right. there that can that can be competitive on a on a regular basis and and uh yeah no and and his perspective and you know and and the the sort of the the markers that we have to meet in order to to achieve that so yeah all right unless you have anything else from uh, the biathlon world you wanted to mention we never really no. talked about the blink festival um so that was right. fun uh, yeah, I always, uh, take these sort of things as, uh, you know, I don't, I don't look at it and say, oh man, I, I joked on, on Twitter that, you know, clearly Quentin, Quentin Fiumier is, is done as he, he didn't have, you know, a, a top showing, but, um, it, you know, it's just fun. It's just fun to see them out there and racing again. Yeah. I always, uh, I, I, I must say that was kind of during the peak of my COVID, uh, sickness. So I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't really see much of it. I still need to rewatch it, but, um, um, the one thing that always stands out to me is that climb up Lisa Botton. Uh, yes. That just, you know, I'm obviously I'm not a top athlete by any means. Um, and I'm sure eventually I would make it up there. And I can see that a good athlete could make it up there in one go and, you know, look pretty solid. But then you see some of these athletes just flying up as if there's no, yeah, you know, no gradient at all. It's just, it just blows my mind every year. So, uh, it's like it's like a flat, uh, you know. It's like a flat race to them, yeah. you know, and they're just, it's, it's just motoring on up. Yeah. yeah. So it 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 does really show what what tremendous athletes these uh, these biathletes are, and obviously the cross country skiers too. But uh, yeah, but hopefully and special I'll, uh, congratulations. I'll I wasn't say special congratulations to our second guest, uh, Baiba Bendika. She was the fastest uh, female biathlete up. Nice. Uh, up the hill so nice uh yeah that was pretty awesome to see yeah yeah so i i I know nothing i haven't even followed it so i'm gonna watch it again and i also apologize to our listeners to uh for the fact that i have barely done anything on twitter and instagram and stuff but uh yeah hopefully that will get back um just a reminder if you have any questions or comments just uh email us at poundyloopodcast at gmail.com and uh you can of course follow us on Twitter. And like I said, my activity will hopefully increase uh, soon. <laughs> I think we're all allowed to have a summer break. And I think that's sort of what enough. we did here in August was yeah. we took a couple of weeks away and, and, uh, got to enjoy 
summertime in our families and and we'll we'll come yeah. back into it now well and, and thankfully uh at biathlon stats who i wanted to do a shout out to he's been yes. uh, not just posting regularly but also very interesting information on the history of biathlon and absolutely keeping us up uh, up to speed on all the uh the news that's out there so uh shout out to him again by he's a, been a, a man stats. on a mission yes. yeah absolutely. So that's great to see that so Anyway, I hope you all have uh, a lot of fun with the interview that we did with Armin and um, all the best. All right. Take care. Through the eyes of. Hey, Armin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to to talk to you guys. Coming in from Italy and uh, Jordan from Florida and myself from, uh, from Canada, so very spread out and yeah, thank um, goodness for the internet thank goodness for the internet that's right hey uh armin would you uh be willing to just uh quickly run over your biathlon career both as an athlete and uh how you got into it and maybe how you got through the different levels in italy etc well i started um my career as an as an athlete in the 90s and uh, first i was actually an alpine skier till i was nine years old and then um, i discovered cross-country skiing i started with cross-country skiing for a couple couple years one two years and then uh, there was a club coach who just you know started a program for kids and got involved right away and from there just just yeah and i started to be a love for over 40 years now almost and uh-huh. fell in love with biathlon and you know went through you know uh, region team national junior team um, national team uh, was on the b team european cup those were were my athletes uh, that's where my athletes career ended actually with 21 years and started coaching right after in my home club because the, the the coach there stopped coaching and he thought i i should take over and well then since then since 1992 actually i'm coaching in italy in uh, US, in Switzerland, and US again. That's more or less a, a brief, a brief story uh-huh. about where I'm coming from, actually. And and sorry, just for the record. So you uh, you mentioned earlier in our pre-talk that uh, you currently live in Antholz, but is that also where you grew up? I grew up in Antholz. Yes, I'm coming from Antholz. Grew okay. up in Antholz, and. Um, have I'm living in Antolz, have done all my training in in Antolz and in the region here, and yeah, that's where I grew up. And from there, I started to you know discover the world, uh, mm-hmm. the world of the sport, mm-hmm. the world of biathlon, and traveled all over the world for thirty years now, actually. Wow. Yeah, kind I know. Uh, we have. We've been fortunate to speak with a lot of different uh, athletes and coaches and people associated with with biathlon this summer, and um, almost every single one of them has said that Antholz is their their favorite location. So 
a lot of very jealous people that you got to grow up there and call uh, call Antholtz home. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful valley. It's um, has a border towards Austria. We're German speaking region, actually. Um, and we have at the end of the valley, there is a nice lake. And next to this lake, there is the Biathlon Stadium. And I think people just likes the small valley, um, pretty quiet in the wintertime and mm-hmm. good skiing, uh, mm-hmm. good stadium and just is a nice, nice location in the middle of the mountains surrounded by pretty nice mountains. How so many nice. people live in Antolz roughly? Oh, uh, up to 3000, not, okay, not, so it's not quite small, quite small. And I sometimes compare it with little Kenmore a little bit. It's, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. it's, that's why I like Kenmore so much. It's mm-hmm. reminding me, it's just that Kenmore is so beautiful and much, much bigger, bigger place and mm-hmm. bigger mountains too. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it actually, as far as I know, it started out like a small town like that as well. Um, do you feel that Antolz is ever going to, see an explosion of population or is it too isolated for for the majority of people that they they like visiting but they wouldn't actually want to live there no i hope not i hope it stays small um doesn't have the capacity for many more people i think um but uh, i really hope it stays small and they restrict actually um the capacity of of people coming in and uh, should should stay small Otherwise, it's mm-hmm. too busy, too much. And and so, living in Antolz with coaching the US team, do you do a lot of video conferencing and stuff, or do you actually go to the US uh, to train with the team and to coach them? Yeah, I travel back and forth for training camps. Uh, usually, it's about two weeks to three weeks, and it's like uh, once per month almost it's may june july this season then mm-hmm. august september the team comes over we we are going to train uh, in ruppolding and then oberhof other two world cup stations we have in the winter time and this season mm-hmm. we want to do the um, oberhof part just because we have world championships in the winter time mm-hmm. next february and um, in October, I'm gonna go to Utah, Soldier Hollow, to have mm-hmm. another camp in altitude for three weeks. And after that, the team will come over in November, and from there we will have one more camp, just pre-camp before the World Cup starts, actually. And then basically mm-hmm. we are traveling through through Europe. Right. Right. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you uh, you had coached the uh, the Swiss uh, women uh, just prior to your your current position. Um, I, I'm assuming that when you were coaching them, you were able to be more uh, in touch with them. Uh, you know, Italy and Switzerland being much closer together. You know, no oceans in between. There's... Did you find uh, there, there's much of a difference between you know coaching from such a distance, or has have you know we I praised the internet earlier has has having the internet and being able to do Zoom meetings, has that really made it a lot easier to, to communicate? I think um, I, I coached the US from 2009 to 2014, actually, and was there mm-hmm. for two Olympic Games. 
And after that, I switched to Switzerland. And I didn't find it too much different because uh, we had a similar setup in both countries where I just traveled for training camps. So mm-hmm. just the travel to Switzerland was shorter, yes. There was no ocean in between, <laughs> like you said. Yeah. And it was a car drive of five, six hours, depending where in Switzerland. But um, that's basically the difference. And other than that, it's pretty similar. The difficult time was actually the COVID year, uh, 2020, yes. 21. Yeah. And that was the only year I couldn't travel. And we had to basically do a lot of phone calls or um, WhatsApp calls, um, Zoom calls. Uh, a lot was over, like, yeah, through through calls and meetings like that. Mm-hmm. There was no no one-on-one time real coaching outside and being in touch with the mm-hmm. athletes. Oh, man. Just, just because there was no possibility to enter mm-hmm. the the country of us and we couldn't travel mm-hmm. even out of italy italy was in a very bad very bad um situation back then as you mm-hmm. know and, um well that made it a little bit difficult for that for that season but i guess it wouldn't wouldn't have been much different between the us or switzerland like you said you you wouldn't have been able to uh to get out of italy right so uh, not really in the beginning. Maybe in fall there would have been the chance to travel actually, yeah. but uh, it wouldn't have made a big a big difference. Right. So could you um could you imagine a life without biathlon? Like if there was no biathlon, do you think you would still be doing something in a different sport or? Um, that's a good question. Um. You know, time went by, went by quick and fast, probably good, because that means that you like the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, I think I could do a lot of other stuff. Yeah, I could do that. Mm-hmm. I did actually um, a couple other things. I have a couple other projects on the side, but that's just smaller, smaller business. But that's Biathlon is still my my actually yeah favorite favorite thing right now not sure how for mm-hmm. how much longer and and i don't want to think too much about it as long as i enjoy it i will do it mm-hmm. so what? so is that sorry for poking here but uh is that uh because of concern over the climate that there may not be enough snow in the, the near future or are you just thinking of getting out of biathlon no, no. As of now, I don't want to get out of biathlon at all. And I hope that uh, the climate doesn't get too bad, uh, although mm-hmm. the signs are not good. So then nature nature is fighting, fighting, mm-hmm. fighting us, basically. And we should recognize very soon that we have to react or do something, cooperate mm-hmm. with the nature, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not kidding. Um, what were those? Uh, you mentioned you had some side projects. Do you mind sharing with us what those are? I have a wax company. A wax company. Oh. So um, that's my side project. Have it since a couple of years. Cool. Already now. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, being uh, an American and you are our first uh, person that is uh, connected with the U.S. team that we have had the opportunity to interview, I've got a lot of questions, particularly with your um, your experience with the team and uh, how, you know, since you have experience with the Italian teams and Swiss teams, like how it how it differs from some of the other uh, your other experiences as well, if you don't mind me getting into that. I'm, I'm fine with that. Just ask. Yeah, excellent. Okay. I can still not answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you had originally uh, coached uh, the U.S. as the shooting coach, and you said that between 2009 and 2014. Yeah. So I was just wondering how did how did that connection come to be? Like, what was the? How did you end up uh, getting connected with the U.S. team? It was a funny story. I was in uh, in uh, Pyeongchang at the World Championships and with the Italian team and. Basically, I was on the range pretty early. Actually, me and the former uh, U.S. coach, per, per Nielsen, were actually at the range at the same time, but we were well ahead of everybody. And we started actually to talk. We didn't know each other uh, at all. We just said hello um, beforehand because we never really had um, the chance to talk to each other. And... Um, yeah, it happens that you're the two of you are on, in the range and you started to, hey, how are you doing and stuff like that. And it uh, started a really nice conversation with Per, um, who got a really, really good friend of mine. And we still are in very close contact. And uh, basically, it, it ended up to what are you doing next season and stuff like that. And I didn't mm-hmm. really know. And he was like, we are basically trying to find a new coach and or coach along with me and I was like oh that's that's interesting and um, in my head that's interesting actually and um, but I thought you know those it's those conversations where you don't really know is it is it like you know something you just bring up or and yes. basically by the end of the world championships back then um, uh, and the last day pair said hey let's drink a beer tonight together. And he mentioned mm-hmm. it again. And he said, just, you know, we really just searching a coach. <laughs> so okay, that's, that's great. And uh, flew home. And when I was home two days later, I got the phone call from uh, the former um, high performance director, which was Bernd Eisenbichler. And mm-hmm. he said, we're really interested to hire you and um, if I'm available and I said yeah let's talk and um, one of the last World Cups uh, back then it was in Trondheim Oslo one of the last World Cups then and we had a meeting and and, well it took off from there and we had a couple other meetings following up from there and then we just signed the contract at at the McDonald's actually (laughs) 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 No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it seems to have worked out. You were here for for quite a number of years. Um, so when when you came over, what was your first impression? I mean, you're coming from an Italian squad, and um, generally, at least at least our impression here in the states is that the you know you know Italy being a more traditional uh, biathlon nation. When, when you first started uh, coaching the United States team, what were, what were your first impressions? I mean, um, 
I saw right away there's there's the the culture is different and I like it a lot. I like the culture a lot and people is different. I like the commitment I saw from the athletes uh, back then mm-hmm. and still now they are really committed if they if they want to reach a goal they they're on it and mm-hmm. um which they do in Italy too and in uh, in the whole world uh, by the way but the way they approached things was like a little different because in Italy or Germany or uh, Austria France uh, young people around 18 uh, join police or uh, border police or military and they have a life already you know they they're professionals because they earn their money and back then those athletes didn't earn any money they just were like into that sport and that was very mm-hmm. very uh new for me because um they had a certain age already like 22 23 years old and they started to do biathlon whereas in uh, europe people start with 9 10 11 years old to start to play the game and by the by the time they are 18 19 they have 10 almost 10 years in biathlon and those guys mm-hmm didn't even start some of them didn't even start at that at that age so they had to learn everything from from new and not really a support financial support just trying to get um, sponsors um, donators on from the private privately and mm-hmm. that was very new to me and that showed me that those people are really 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 committed to do that and give everything to to succeed actually and then i think that's a strength a strength in us to have that and europeans actually can learn from that what i also like and was is different that people they just invest first in their studies uh, college or university and stuff mm-hmm. and then they start with the professional sport actually right after and i think that's that's an awesome system it could for sure, you know, from the biathlon side, we could for sure have more colleges like supporting our sport in US. So there would be more biathletes for sure. Like, I don't know, yeah. for instance, for skiing or other sports in US, it's just a small community, but we would, we would need more colleges to support that sport. So uh, I mm-hmm. think it could be, could grow pretty quickly um also in us but i like that situation that those people uh study and try to you know invest in their future try and invest in their possibilities after a sports career and then they start a sports career actually and then they see if they are successful or not and i like that yeah it's a a, like you said it's just a different a different route into getting into the sport uh, sort right. of a different uh, different attitude towards it right and i don't say it's so, wrong or, or right i think it's a it's a great yeah. system uh what we will need in uh, for biathlon in us would need um more clubs more facilities to do mm-hmm. the sport uh although it's growing uh quite a bit lately 
And I'm very happy to see those things. Uh, also, like the Aryan Center right now is uh, is, mm-hmm. is is coming yes. up, and just just what I was going to mention. Yeah, in the east and in the west, there's some new smaller centers, and we have the Paul Smith College now supporting some biathletes, and we have mm-hmm. uh, in Montana in um, Bozeman. Uh, club yep. crosscut doing great jobs uh, with with the athletes there and um, I'm so thankful to seeing those those athletes those coaches those supporters those donators um, doing something for our sport and that's that's what we actually need the more the more um, um, clubs and educated coaches we will have in future. Uh, the better the sport will be internationally, and the more successful US will be. I'm I'm very hopeful that US can be um, a very strong country in in biathlon. I'm uh-huh. very very positive about that. We just need to grow the education pil- pillar, and the domestic races should should uh, come up a little bit more so people can actually race. Mm-hmm in the u.s and see the make the sport like visual so people can see mm-hmm. oh what's that you know what's that that's that's cool kind of cool and yeah. colleges need to you know get interest in it and say oh there's there's a lot of people doing that you know and the more people mm-hmm. is doing it the more attention you will get so there's many many oh, absolutely. many ways to do it do you um because i I think one main difference between North America and Europe is the the distances within the country, right? Like you have people in Alaska and you have people in the Northeast and yeah. they're, you know, 20 countries away from a European perspective. Yeah. Um, from a, for, from, from my side of things, I almost wonder if, if there's any opportunity for collaboration between the US and Canada in the sense that people in Northeast US are very close to Toronto relatively. Yeah, where we people started, in Calgary can work close to, you know, Denver yeah, or right. We started yeah. some conversations this this winter uh, with the Canadian team, and we we try. And there's already has been some some cooperation. It's not like a really how to say that established cooperation now, but we would like to mm-hmm. to you know the interest from our side is there to cooperate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And right now, between the coaches, the um, Canadian coach Justin and and me and uh, Tim and Lowell, there is uh, Pavel. There is there is a good communication. We like each other, and and I think there is a possibility to to you know do some planning maybe in the future together. But it mm-hmm. takes you know there's the two countries have also two different systems in general how they bring mm-hmm. athletes up. Um, mm-hmm. but there might be some possibilities to do a training camp together, for instance, or right. a time over Christmas, maybe to find a place where they actually can connect and stuff like that, which we did partly like Susan Dunkley sometimes joined the Canadian team over Christmas and, and stuff right. like that. And the athletes between them, they're, they're going along. They, they have fun together. They, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They they talk for sure and and they change their own experiences with with each other and 
it's it's a fun team the canadian team so it's very close i think also culturally so right don't see any problems there to cooperate a little bit more in future right yeah and we spoke with uh uh, some of the Canadian athletes and it sounds like they, you know, I make sense from a language perspective, but they spend a lot of time with the American athletes, you know, while they're traveling in Europe too. So, you know, right. there's, there's already, you know, the, the, the friendships and the, the, the relationships are already there. Right. Could be interesting in the future to, you know, establish what I see. This is maybe a vision. I don't know if it makes sense, but just ideas, um, you know, to establish a place in Europe over Christmas for those who actually want to stay there. Some will have mm-hmm. to travel home, back home, just to see family and stuff. But for those who um, decide to stay in Europe to just say, okay, let's just do the training camp or the final yeah. place where they can train together and right. to fix that as a European base, basically. Oh, let's go mm-hmm. to whatever this place and that's where we meet the Canadians for sure and we can train together and you know hang out together and um, have a little different bond yeah yeah a little different environment over if so maybe maybe they can all come to Antholtz with you they can all come uh, to your house for Christmas <laughs> to my house for Christmas <laughs> be very full <laughs> they bring gifts they can come <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> and do you think, um, I mean, we talked about climate uh, change a little bit earlier um, and, and you know, extending on that. It's not unlikely that summer biathlon and roller skiing and, and shooting is going to be growing in the future just, you know, because there's potentially less and less snow. Um, do you think that could be an opportunity for a large nation like the US that maybe have a lot of people that you know might be interested in summer biathlon but don't really relate to winter biathlon because they live in a state where they don't have snow and um, are therefore maybe feeling less connected to a winter sport well that's that's looking ahead quite a bit right now mm-hmm. um, what what there is a tendency from the International Federation, IBU, they want to create a summer summer tour, call it like that. Um, they want to unify like the Blink Festival with the Martin Forcade race and the Summer mm-hmm. World Championships. They want to create something in the summer and have it a little bit more under their wings, I would say. Mm-hmm. They were like... Link Festival and and Martin Foucault started from uh, private um, right. interests and stuff like that, and um, they got big, and people is interested to race each other also in the summertime. So um, there's a tendency to that. Um, I hope that we still will have snow actually, because uh, of course, yeah, right, yeah. right. Well, we can always come to Canmore where it's plenty yeah. cold yeah that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> and, yeah, and I... Uh, yeah i think if it's if it's like going in that direction we just have to build some facilities with roller ski tracks in the us right and if if there is snow in any case then we have both yeah, yeah that's right hey, come on down to florida yeah 
<laughs> Just get some up. nice, uh, nice heat training. Yeah. 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 Um, so most recently, uh, I know now you are the, the head coach of, of the, uh, both the men's and women's elite teams for the United States, correct? Yes. But most recently you were just the head coach of the women's team for the last few years. Yes. Yeah. So I I guess both teams for the most part, but the women's team especially seems to be in a little bit of a point of transition here, uh, with Claire Egan and Susan Dunkley, both retiring. Um, you know, what, uh, how, uh, do you see the, the future of the, the women's squad, you know, going forward? I think we have to invest a lot in development camps for now. That's the, the short term, short term thing we can do. Um, the Federation is pushing quite a bit and is interested actually to grow that, um, to grow the female roster actually. And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm. I'm really hoping that there's people out there starting to do biathlon and, um, you know, joining those development camps we we just had in Lake Placid these last couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Tim and Lowell and uh, they said, well, like a couple of young ladies uh, seemed uh, very happy to see those ladies joining that development camp. And uh, hopefully they... They can stick with the with the with the sport and uh, you know close that gap in a couple of years. Of course, uh, we have we have uh, Claire and Susan uh, retiring, and they have been uh, very successful over the years. And mm-hmm. closing that gap is is not that easy. There is now Deidre and uh, Deidre Irvin. Who came mm-hmm. off from uh, Great Olympics and um, Joanne Reed, who already had a top ten at Worlds and top fifteen at Worlds? Um, they are the next. They are the leaders. Basically, they need to, you know, step in those shoes and try to step in those shoes um, to make sure that their sports remain uh, remains um, in the news, in the media. And that young female athletes see, oh, that's cool what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. and continue actually that, that path. And hopefully young girls, young ladies, uh, or cro- now cross-country skiers, uh, they are also welcome to switch and, um, you know, uh, to start to try biathlon, actually. Mm-hmm. We have the centers, we have local coaches in, in Craftsbury and Crescott and other other regions who started to do biathlon. And um, I think it's going to be more, more and more easy to switch to the sport of biathlon in the future. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, DJ Irwin, and uh, I, I just know her story, you know, switching from cross-country skiing into biathlon, and, and you're talking about um, uh, hopefully being able to get other, other women and other athletes to do that. Um, how do you guys do that? Do you, how do you approach athletes that you see, um, in the cross country ranks and say, Hey, you know, have you thought about trying biathlon? Um, uh, where, where do you find them and how do you approach them? I mean, that's, um, a job, uh, usually Tim, Tim tries to do He's the development director. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we don't want to, you know, uh, be, 
aggressive at all. I mean, it's it's a personal decision what you're doing and where you want to eat. To uh, what we did in past was uh, talent ID camps, TID camps we call them, mm-hmm. and people could just sign up for for such a camp, and um, then we tested them like for shooting or skiing or uphill running and different different tests, and the best one got chosen uh, usually, and um, that's how we did it in past. Um, but it's not it's not always like you find one or two it's a very restricted um, pool of athletes who actually sign up so in cross country in in the us especially on the female side is very very big and very very famous yes and we have had kick and randall and we have had now um jesse dickens we have of Mm -hmm. course rosie brennan and many others, um, Stevens, this Stevens, I think, and many, mm-hmm. many others who grew that, um, that uh, who made sure that uh, the sport of cross-country skiing just grew so tremendously. And it's, at the moment, it's really cool to be a cross-country skier because they, uh-huh. they look up at those stars and they are doing great they're they are tr- trying to push to push that um the cross country skiing quite a bit and make it fun and they do i think i think those athletes are great they do a great promotion so it's very difficult for a sport like biathlon actually to to get some athletes from cross country right. yeah yeah the thing is what we don't actually need we need if we need a if we have a cross-country skier switching we need a a pretty strong skier it's not yeah, uh-huh. it's this what i want to also bring up here it's it's very often that in the cross-country community there is this thought oh well uh if i'm not fast enough or if you're not fast enough you can do biathlon that's not true at <laughs> all you need to be mm-hmm. a really strong skier otherwise you don't have any chance it's not just about yeah. shooting well and skiing poorly. No, it's about sh- skiing really, really fast and mm-hmm. shooting well. So that's something they should, you know, uh, the cross-country world out there and the sports interested guys and fans should know. It's not just being a poor skier at all and uh, poor skier and shooting well. No, it's to be... Mm-hmm a fast skier and a great shooter. This concludes the first part of the interview with Armin Agutaler. Thank you all for listening, and the second part of the interview will be posted one week from now.